21. Let's hear the inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God this morning. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless this, your word to our hearts and our minds and our lifestyles this day and each day until we see you seated on your glorious throne. But of course, Lord, you will welcome us openly with open arms in Christ. We pray this day. Amen and amen. many years ago who um, passed away at the age of 98 and I uh, attended that particular memorial service for my aunt and I spoke with her daughter my cousin and we both remarked that the one thing that stood out about my aunt Ruth Helen was her delight in people she was one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life and if you were around her if she saw you for the very first time, she just made you feel special. It's a wonderful thing. The Psalm of David says something quite similar. It says that God delights in his people. To think that each time God sees me, he smiles. Stop there. Every time he sees me, he smiles. It gratifies him that I am his child, and this is something that I, and I think all of us here in this room today, rarely think about. In the psalm, David is looking back after a great deliverance, rejoicing because the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. Saul had put a bounty on his head and chased him relentlessly, forcing David to sleep in caves, dens, and open fields. But God came roaring through the heavens to help his son, his son David. The text then tells us what God did to re rescue David and equally important is the reason God delivered David. It says, because he delighted in me. 
I want to look at these ideas, what God did to rescue David and why he did it, hoping that we're going to see ourselves also as objects of God's delight this morning. What God did to deliver David. Usually when we're up to our eyeballs in crocodiles, I guess in Florida it would have to be alligators. I think about crocodiles in Congo at Lake Kivu. We're always thinking to ourselves, what do I need to do to get out of this mess? And we put pressure on ourselves. But the first thing I want you to notice about this text is how many times David says the word he. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me. So who is our mighty deliverer in times of trouble? It's him, not me. We have a whole movement going on today about pronouns, if you haven't noticed. It's become very important to people as to what they're going to be called. Well, I want to say that according to the scriptures, it's also very important that we focus on the pronouns. He, not me, it, him. And notice in verse 16, it says, he sent from on high. Another way to say that is, he reached out. When I was in trouble, he came roaring out of heaven and he reached out to me. He reached out from on high. From his place in the heavens, he extended his mighty hand of deliverance to me. You should be very clear about something this morning. Very clear indeed. It's God who takes the initiative to reach out when we're in trouble. It's not the other way around. We don't reach up, he reaches down. And that he reaches out from his high place doesn't mean that he's about to pull you down farther. It means he's about to pull you up higher. Then it says, he took me. It doesn't say, I took God. He took me. And the idea behind the Hebrew word for took is not passive. It's not like you were walking through a nice market and you saw some big, fat, red, juicy apples and you decided to take them. The idea is not passive. It really means in the Hebrew to seize. He saw me in trouble. He reaches down, he comes roaring out of the mighty heavens, and he seizes me. Imagine, many years ago, I was a lifeguard. I had to seize a couple of kids once on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. You see them out there, you tell them, be, 
be careful of the riptide that's out there. And of course, what do they do? They try not to think of pink elephants. They're right out there, and off they go, headed to the Caribbean. <laughs> and I'm on my surfboard, paddling on out there, and I get them, and what do I do? I tell them, do not fight. Do not resist. I seize them. In fact, I turn them in a position where they cannot fight me at all. Their back is to me, and I've got a chokehold around under their shoulder, under their right arm, and I'm pulling them in. And I, I, I remember a, an older woman once decided to go off to Bimini. <laughs> she was halfway to Bimini when I went out there. She decided she wanted to have a little vacation and go to Bimini. And I said, no, ma'am, that's not a good idea because you don't have a boat. You're going to need a boat after about another kilometer or two. And I went out there, and she's screaming, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I said, nothing, 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 nothing. I will do it. Are you sure? I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I got this little thing here that says lifeguard. <laughs> and you were drowning and God saw you. He extended his hand and he seized you. Just at the right second. You were about to go down. And one of the nuances to the word suggests something very personal. We're still working on the Hebrew word took. When he seized you, he took you to himself. I would just take people ashore, but he seizes you to himself in covenant relationship with him. He saw you drowning in sin with all of its consequences, guilt and sorrow, and he didn't make you do the first move. He came and he seized you to himself in the eternal covenant of salvation. And then in verse 16, it says this, he drew me. This is how. This is the method. That God takes us to himself, he draws us to himself like metal drawn to a magnet. But a magnet doesn't capture the full idea here. Because a magnet is an impersonal force, and I am a personal person with personal problems. They are concrete, an abstraction. I love it when people say, may light and love follow you all the days of your life. And I say, no. <laughs> I don't want light and, light and love. Apart from the living God are abstractions. They are impersonal forces, and an impersonal force cannot help a personal person. They can do nothing for me. When the woman is out there drowning off the coast of Fort Lauderdale, halfway to Bimini, I didn't say, I love you. Let me put my spotlight on you, and maybe that will help. Lights will attract mosquitoes and bugs, but they do nothing for me. My problems are real. So are yours. 
this morning. So it's instructive that the Hebrew word for draw, Messiah, is a primitive root for the word Messiah. The second person of the Trinity who took on flesh, who became one of us, who walked the dusty roads of Galilee, who lived the perfect life I should have lived but did not, who went to the cross and died for me, who rose again victoriously from the dead and is coming back in all power, might, and glory for his people. And the living and the dead shall be raised. And there shall be a judgment. But those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word Messiah was often ascribed to a king's ability to deliver his people in times of trouble. He's the deliverer. He doesn't come to deliver things to you. He comes to deliver you to him. So when David says that God drew me, the Holy Spirit means to comfort us today with the truth that when your enemies of your peace are hot on your trail and you're naturally focused on the enemies trying to figure out what to do, there's a drawing, an attraction coming from the person who sits on the throne and who by means of drawing you unto himself is taking you to himself. <clears throat> and in essence is saying, just stay right behind me, I've got it. Don't worry about them. How much pain, how much anguish, how much hurt have we delivered to ourselves, worrying about, fretting over, stewing over those people out there, which does absolutely nothing to them, has absolutely no impact on them. But what does it do? It ruins our Peace. My peace has been ruined a few times. But what can man do to me? The psalmist says. And drawing from this very idea, as you go into the New Testament, the high point of the New Testament is the book of Romans, and the high point of Romans is the eighth chapter, and the pinnacle of the eighth chapter is what can man do to me? It doesn't matter what they try to do. They can't lay a finger on me because of my eternal relation. The one who came and plucked me out of the water, who drew me to himself, took charge of the situation and said, I've got this, is the one who continues to walk with me through all the dark places, all the inerrant things that I do, all the sins and the forthcomings that are coming into the world, my world in the future. And then it says, he delivered me. This is the effect of what God has done so far. He reached down, he, pronouns, he drew me now that he has done these things, I'm delivered. Benito. Now, let me tell you what delivered does not mean. Delivered does not mean, for those of us who are still trotting this earthen sphere, 
that all warfare has ended. Are you a Christian? Do you have warfare? Okay. Hasn't stopped. Oh, there will be a day when it's all put aside, but for now there's still a warfare going on. Paul says to put on the full armor of God, and that was written after the resurrection. And Peter says that he prowls about as a roaring lion, as a ro not the roaring lion. There's only one lion of Judah. This one is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. So there's still a spiritual warfare going on. Most of us would like to think that deliverance means that God plucked me from the field of battle and sent me on the beach. That's what I did with a woman. I said, don't move. Don't think of moving. But that's not what God does with us. You know what God does? He delivers us and he sends us into battle. He does just the opposite. He said to go therefore to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. And lo, I will be with you. These are delivered people he's talking to. I will be with you even to the end of the age. Delivered means that in the midst of battle, God refreshed and reinvigorated David. The day will come when it's all over. That's the final deliverance. But now, deliverance means that although God doesn't remove us from the battle, he does walk us through it. Isaiah 33.2, when you pass through the waters, <clears throat> I will be with you. Have you been through waters? Metaphorically, he's with you. Where is God when I need him in the midst of all this? He's right there, it says. And through the rivers, as if water wasn't enough, just to make sure we understand that it's all water. They will not overflow you. We have all the elements here. When you walk through the fire, these are Christians. Christians will walk through fire. Paul says when an open door to ministry was presented to him, you know what he got? A pile of problems. We, we, we Christians are amazing. <clears throat> We're the most problematic people on the planet. We are problem laden. We eat problems morning, noon, and night because we've got all the issues that we share with other people in the world. But then we've got the added issues that come about for being a Christian. For not only has it been granted unto us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to what? Suffer for his name's sake. So he says, whoever wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his surfboard, cross, and follow me. This is clear at the end of verse 18 that this warfare is still going on. But the Lord was my stay. 
What is a stay? A stay is a support. I'll bet when Moses' arms were getting tired as he held them up for the waters to part, he just wanted to drop them and let someone else do it. I'll bet that when Paul says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, he thought to let someone else take the lash. But in these and a myriad of other examples, God <coughs> reached down. He didn't remove the responsibility. He reached down and taking me to himself, David says, my Messiah, my Messiah, I find my stay. I find my support. I love the way David puts it in verse 19. Look at this. He brought me forth also, also into a broad place. This is a figurative expression of freedom from distress and anxiety, not necessarily the circumstances of distress, but the pain of distress. Which do you think is more painful? A physical pain or a heart pain? An emotional pain? That's what he delivers us from. He drew me out, David says in verse 16, of many waters, not just one, not just two, not just a few, but many, 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 many waters. Boy, left to us, we will always find waters. We love to drown. Why do you think the Bible calls us sheep? One of the interesting things about sheep is that if one of them gets lost, why do you think the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one? It's because a lost sheep means a dead sheep. There's an old saying in Hebrew idioms, if there is a way for a sheep to die, he'll find it. <laughs> they will walk right off a cliff in search of food. Boy, I'm hungry. Many waters. So God has preserved these words for us today to say that although he doesn't always keep the floods from coming, he does promise this, I will be your stay. I will be your support. Now why God delivers us, verse 19, he rescued me because he delighted in me. What does it mean that God delights in me? It means he takes pleasure in me. He relishes me. It just makes him happy to be around me. For any of you who have owned a dog, if you leave the house for two hours to go to dinner, once you return home, it's like you've been gone for two weeks. That dog is just jumping around like crazy. Man, oh man, oh man, I'm so glad to see you. You've been gone for ten minutes. You went out to water the lawn. I mean, don't take a year to do that. <laughs> the thought occurred to me once that maybe God is teaching us something in these little moments about how he feels about us. Psalm 18 says that God, I mean, think about it, the prodigal son. 
When one person becomes a Christian, think about this. All the angels in heaven are having a party. And that includes the warrior angels. They put down their swords and their shields and they party. They rejoice in heaven over the salvation of just one. Psalm 18 says that God rescues us from the souls of life because he delights in us. Now I know what's on your mind. Wait a minute. God doesn't deliver because of us. He does so for his glory, the honor of his name, and his grand plan of salvation. Did he not say to Israel and by extension to us, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. This is true. But David was a sinner. Mm-mm. Big time. He commit great sin with Bathsheba. Was involved in murder. He paid dearly by the warfare that would never leave his house. Yet he still says, He rescued me because he delighted in me. Through it all, God never stopped delighting in this man. So how is this possible? That God delights in me. John, or Hal, Carol, how does he delight in you? That takes us back to verse 16 and the word draw. Remember, Messiah? God delights in David because God drew David to the Messiah. And because David is in that, he's drawn like a magnet. But there's a person. He's drawn into covenant relationship with God, and David is in God. God delights in David. Not just simply because he's David. Not just simply because he's a king. Not just simply because he's a good-looking guy. Better than Saul. He delights in David because David is in God. In New Testament terms, he delights in you because he loves his son, and if you're in the son, he loves you. He delights in you. He delights in the son. that God would delight in us is a difficult thing for us perfectionists to grasp. How many children grow up wanting to be special to a father or a mother but can never measure up? How many adults struggle with perfectionism because they never felt delightful to a parent? How many heard growing up, you're good for nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. So they grew up feeling worthless. But David says, the reason God delivered me from all of my enemies, from all of my sorrows, from all the powers of hell, all waters, is because God delights in me. Where are we? He reached out. He took me. He drew me. He delivered me. He brought me into a broad place because he delights in me. And delights in me is because he is in God. Covenant relationship with God. 
So if you were to ask, how can God delight in sinners, you'd be right. God doesn't delight in those who live for themselves or think they can earn heaven by throwing God a few crumbs in the form of some good works or outward acts of religion. You could live a thousand years and never do enough good deeds to meet the requirements of God's forgiveness. But God does take delight in those who trust in his son because he is the one through his perfect life, death and resurrection, who met the perfect requirements of our salvation. And it's when we trust on him that all of our sins are forgiven. And if he lives in us, there's the reason God delights in anyone. And it's because he delights in the presence of Christ in that person. So notice something interesting in verses 20 and 21, and I'll close. David seems to say that God delighted in him in fact, he does say, because of his moral virtues. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. Well, we just said a moment ago, and you know the stories. This was not a righteous man. This was not a man with clean hands. You don't construct a murder scene and then come away and say, oh, the Lord delivered me because of my clean hands. This is what we call a Christocentric phrase. In other words, it's an Old Testament reference pointing us to the perfect person and work of Jesus Christ. And so it all comes together, does it not? He delights in me, and all of a sudden we move to this reference about his righteousness and his clean hands, and there's a transition taking place in the verse, in the text, that is pointing us to the perfect clean hands, the righteousness of Christ, in whom and through whom we receive his righteousness when he takes our sins, when by faith we trust on him for the forgiveness of our sins. So know today that should Christ be in you, you are precious. You have an eternal Aunt Helen. But of course something, Psalm 1, far, 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 infinitely better and perfect. The creator of the universe. The creator of the universe who delights in you. And I would imagine that when we come into his presence, every worship, I'll be so pleased. Think about this, would you? Think hard about this. Pray about this. Spend time about this. That God is not this old, the picture of the old man with the big white beard. Kind of rubbing his rough knuckled hands, just thinking about how he can stir up more problem, some, some soup for you. And you got to find out a way to walk through this maze 
And if you can make it, then he'll see you in heaven. Now the battle's over as far as that's concerned. But the battle continues to rage in this life. And there's a, our God, he delighted. Mean is Christ. He said at his baptism, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day for this word <clears throat> to us, tucked away in the Old Testament. 